and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today's film is 1917, directed by Sam Mendes, starring George McKay and Dean Charles Chapman. My name is Cameron Tuttle, and I'm joined with Isaac Ransom. Isaac, I know you're busy. I'm just going to ask you, how are you doing? <laughs> no, Cameron, I'm not going to throw something at the camera at you. No, yeah, I'm I'm all right. I'm, I'm swamped. I'll be real with the audience. I think I just have too many things going on. I was just telling Cameron before we hit the record, feels like most things in my life are very demanding right now. Family, you know, my fiance, my work life, the dryer that broke in my house before the show. It's <laughs> it's driving me up the wall. I'm not going to say the dryer broke right before we started recording, but yeah, it did. And that was like you know, it's probably time to wash my sheets. Cameron, do you think about washing your sheets often? I forget yeah, I, that. I literally just washed my sheets on Friday. so I, I forget to do that all the time. And I'm going to be super transparent. I, I'm sorry if this disgusts you. <laughs> I haven't washed my sheets since I moved in. So it was time, you know? I was so like... What is that? Like, That's like a month and a half? Yeah, like almost. Two I, I would say months, that's like kind of yeah. that's that's like on the edge, uh, getting yeah. to where it's like not okay anymore. Like I would, I I feel like I wash my sheets every two to three weeks. That's that's kind of my my standard rotation. But the problem is, I have um I have coin laundry, so I have to pay for my laundry. So it's like on top of the other stuff that I wash, you know, it ends up being you know, 12 bucks basically to wash everything. So, you know, I, I, I don't do it every week. Um, I, I kind of give it, give it a little bit, but you know, it is what it is. It's just, me. yeah, I, yeah, I just, yeah, I don't know. My, I, I used to do it weekly at my house. My, I think my, I'm realizing that my parents very clean people. And I think that's a good thing as yeah. you, if you're watching this on video, I'm sorry, just a pile of laundry behind me. <laughs> On a naked mattress, you know, it's just, it's a crack den this evening, <laughs> right, out here. I am, I'm not proud of it, but um, yeah, so I'm just doing swell and just mighty good. How about you, Cameron? How's life for you? Uh, it's been pretty good, actually. This was a kind of a slower week, gave me a, a little bit of a chance to breathe. I've been kind of where you are right now with like literally everything is turned up to 11 the past um, since I got back from Tahoe, actually that second time. So uh, it's it's been it's been kind of chaos ever since. But I'm kind of uh, relaxing. I did my taxes this week. Um, so feeling good about that um, off the off the plate of things that I had to do. And, you know, just just kind of just just riding on that on that wave, you know, I'm feeling mm. relaxed. Um, I started playing Elden Ring too. Uh, oh, I thought <laughs> so, you were trying to relax. Yeah, no, I know. I, well, that, that, that's the thing is, um, a lot of people it's sucked all of their time and that's like all of the, the, that's, that's like what they think about night and day. I'm kind of, um, not to say I'm meh on it. I, I'm I'm enjoying my time with it, but it's really it really hasn't captured me in the same way that it has many other people. Not to say it's bad or anything. I I'm you know like I said I'm enjoying my time with it. But in in some ways I almost feel a little bit lost with what I'm supposed to do at this point um, because it's so open. Which I I like. I kind of enjoy that mechanic as as sort of a you know 
you you get to do you get to level up basically as you want to do but in my uh <laughs> in my experience i i tend towards kind of more linear games so this one has been a little bit more of a um i i i find myself frequently being like okay well I just did that thing. Now what am I supposed to do? Um, mm, which yeah. which I don't feel with most games. Um, but, you know, still in, enjoyable, having a having a good time. I've also, I'm sure some listeners uh, know this on from the last show, but um, since you mentioned it on uh, two weeks ago, uh, I started casually re-watching Game of Thrones as well. Oh, um, so, okay. Uh, if you want to talk about it, I mean, I, I'm full, I'm all for that. I, I've got some thoughts about this rewatch. Um, I think I'm, I'm on season two, kind of in the middle. Um, I've been kind of having it on, uh, casually while, while I'm editing and whatnot. Um, really good stuff. It's the first two, the first three seasons from what I remember are spectacular. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Have you have you gotten into it anymore since we last talked? Oh my gosh, it has been my escape show at like nine o'clock. That's when I burn out. Like nine o'clock, yeah. ten p.m. I'm working like extra time, and I'm like, I can't anymore, and I don't have any brain power to play a game or anything at all. So I'll watch um, two, sometimes three episodes of Game of Thrones and stay up too late. Um. Yeah, I like I like the show. I um I think honestly my biggest problem with it is some of the like HBO like raunchy content. Um still, I just think some of it some of it works and is fun and some of it is very like it's just too much. I I don't I'm juvenile. honestly kind of I think juvenile yeah, is yeah. Yeah. Um that's and and I think it takes away from genuinely some of the best character writing on tv you know i i was i i I just and and i know a lot of people like you were saying oh it gets better like in the second season or it gets better as it goes i don't know like season two there's still a ton of it in there (laughs) um even in the season three i think i watched season three episode five or like three three four or five i got through one episode for the first time with no nudity yeah. And I was yeah. like <laughs> I was like, you know what? That episode was just as good. And I didn't ca- I didn't uh, the only reason I didn't notice it is because I was looking to notice when they were finally going to stop that, right? And I think I think there are some scenarios in the show that that make sense. Um like there's the there's the love interest with Jon Snow and uh Egret and that's kind yeah. of fun, right? Like to me, I'm like this. You know, there's supposed to be some sexual tension with this with this couple. Like this is this is good, you know. Even in the earlier and, seasons, and it's like a clash the, of ideologies too. You know, the yeah. free people versus the very you know dour um, you know uh, w- w- watchers of the wall. You know, so it's like it, it. There is there is some play there, but I I think the on rewatch the thing that I noticed most about that sort of content was how often it was used as a plot device or to, to explain something as sort of, um, uh, you know, when Littlefinger is talking about something that is actually important to the plot, 
um, important in the character motivation. You know, you got to show boobs so that people stay <laughs> interested in it. Oh, you know? sure. And it's like, sure. and it's like that is not true, and is it kind of takes away from I think some of the importance of of some of that character stuff. But at the same time, you know, and like there are scenes that are done so well between characters of um, plot and exposition um, and revealing things about characters in the same way that the show, you know, in the beginning parts tends towards, you know, using nudity or using sex to sort of drive some of the the plot forward. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I was... Just like shining moments like in season two when Tyrion is like each having his own personal meeting with a council member and he's telling them different things and you don't quite understand what he's doing. And then as it comes together and he finds out which one is it is like backstabbing him behind like with the with the queen. Right. Like moments like that are just like, dude, this show is like on another level, you know, like you're like, this is such a joy to watch something like this. And and um I don't know. The characters are breathing with with life and stuff. I I just I find that some of like the HBO isms to be like sort of cringy. Um, at least it was starting to wear on me. Like moving into season three, I'm like, this doesn't seem to be really like like I want I want the storyline. I don't really want that other stuff. You know, incredible how the show juggles so many characters. Um, I. Yeah, I've just I've been enjoying it. I'm about I think I'm on episode five or or, or six of season three. Um, I am getting to a point where it's like expect the unexpected and where I'm beginning to have those like what if moments with characters like what exactly is going to happen mm-hmm. the way that these characters have arcs that are so like you hate them with a the passion and then they're beginning to like slowly change for the yeah. good or like. You know, I'm starting to think like p- characters that aren't important are going to be like these horrendous, like, you know, overlords within the next season, you know. Um, and I I can't tell if it's genius for doing that or if it's kind of like. Um, I don't know what the right word is, but like kind of like sappy or like like kind of goofy in that regard. Hmm. And I, I think I'm only feeling that because I know the looming disappointment of later seasons <laughs> because so far it's so yeah, good yeah, that yeah. I'm like, this can't, it's not going to hold together. Uh, you know, uh, such and such as friends, uh, you know, handmaiden cow milker is going to become, or going to sit on the iron throne by the end of season eight, <laughs> you know, like it's like, or, you know, like I, I just, I'm starting to kind of be like, what what is even what even no, is this going for? You know, no spoilers, but, but uh, pretty much. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but, like, but I, th- I, <laughs> I think the the uh, the brilliance of it comes from the writing of the, tr- the you know the trilogy of books that it's based on. You know, so I yeah. I think I think and all of the all of the tendrils that happen because of those sort of stories that are set up through the books, um, they are very faithful in the show. For the first uh, three to four seasons, um, and it really shows because after you know mi- midway, basically from season five on, it starts to get like questionable, and then seven and eight are just like tanked. Um, 
but you know the the first three seasons i i think are are super special i i really character wise uh narrative wise drama wise i like it, i imagine uh is so weird because i've been thinking about the uh the star wars prequels recently i don't know why but um actually it probably is in context of watching rewatching game of thrones but um i'm like i want them to be remade i want the star wars prequels to be remade in the vein of you know the early game of thrones seasons mm. if that makes sense yeah um, yeah because what you really take from it is the backstabbing the political maneuvering the um you know the the very sordid uh, characters um you know seedy things happening all around and it, it's just it's just wonderful to see everything unfold and everybody has everybody has a goal and a mission um and it feels justified everything in the show you know character wise feels so justified that i i yeah i think it's so so well done and like you said um the juggling of characters is top notch top notch so yeah you definitely have your favorites that you want to have more screen time with but i think it's crazy when you're watching it like already released you can binge it and it's like you get one scene with um who's the crippled kid right bran you get one scene with bran stark in one episode but then if you're watching it like kind of as a binge you get another scene with him next episode and it kind of like shifts your attention. Like mm. it's so crazy how continuous the show feels um, between episodes. And it's extremely clever that the way that they like end each episode on a drama point without it feeling cut up. Yeah. Too. Like yeah. that's what she, it's, it's starting. It's, it's actually blowing my mind and they're having uh, watching season three. They're having so much fun with the drama points in season three. I mean, there's, there's a moment Cameron, that I thought of you specifically <laughs> with, um, let's just say there's a hand involved, okay? Uh, yeah. And that scene, like, it, this the scene happens, it cuts, and there's just this crazy music that plays over the credits of the episode. And I'm like, dude, these guys are having fun making this TV show. Like, they're having <laughs> a great time making this. And you can feel the show, like, really leaning into itself at that point. Totally. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been interesting to, you know, dive into this. I I don't know how long I'll be able to hold on. Um depending on like I don't know if I'm just going to get mad and stop watching or something or <laughs> probably. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'm I'm enjoying it for now. I'm definitely feeling very creatively inspired by the show. Um, hmm. just the nerdy world building all that stuff. Like you're saying considering the prequels or considering um you know, I, I always love like uh, the like potentially exploring interactive media that like could be like almost choose your own adventure or like alternate history. And I feel like Game of Thrones is like you could do something amazing with that, right? Um, so yeah, it's 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 really it is really something special. It's hard to deny, even though there's those little elements that I'm like frustrated by in the show. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I really want to talk about, sorry, I know we're going to get to 1917, I promise. Um, just something that I have bought and I want to speak about. It's kind of related to movies and it's related to Star Wars is Lego Star Wars, the Skywalker Saga. I bought this game 
I've been very excited for it. I know we have fans in the audience who love Lego Star Wars. This game is wildly ambitious. Uh, <laughs> it is it is the perfect game for me in a time of absolute chaos. It's a okay. no-pressure, very chill collect-a-thon game, but it does it in this modernized manner. And I think the only conversation I really want to bring to it for this podcast is how the game reaches its source material. It's very true to the source material of, of all of the nine Star Wars films. Um, well, the, the Skywalker trilogy, right? But it also, it's not afraid to like poke fun at it at the same time. And it does it in a way that makes you feel, or at least it makes me feel like I'm a kid again playing with Star Wars toys. And I'm like, I'm going to reenact the scene of, you know, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon Jinn fighting Darth Maul, you know? And what would a kid think of, like, that scene when he plays it once, right? And then he revisits that scene again, like, let's say you're replaying the level, but this time you have Boba Fett shows up and murders, you know? Uh, and, like, like, it feels very much like, like, the, um, like the fun you want to have when you're re recalling and, and replaying uh, the Star Wars events in a game. And uh, it's, again, ambitious in the fact that they have these huge open world spaces with side quests and things to collect in them. It kind of feels like it has like small elements of like Super Mario Odyssey, where it's like you're kind of in this world that seems empty, but you turn a corner and you'll find a mini kit or like a kyber brick or whatever you're trying to put together. And those things unlock you more things like ships and all that. So if you're a fan of Lego games, I feel like, uh, especially those or those early Lego star Wars games, like this one, it's special. It's really special. Um, it's super casual. I'm not going to say if you're a hardcore gamer, you're going to pick it up and be like, man, this is so competitive or I must get all the bricks, you know? Um, I just haven't experienced a game that's so fun in a long time and just want to shout it out because it's so directly tied to the pop culture of star wars too i'm i'm uh genuinely in love with the game right now so um that's that's kind of the other stuff i've been spending my time uh doing when i do have time um but haven't been playing too many games uh and of course it's split screen i, I always gotta love split screen i bought it to play with glenn uh who i live my brother who i live with so um yeah cameron have you heard anything about the game or uh, uh, no, I, I saw that you bought it, uh, but uh, I was I was definitely interested, and I was waiting a little bit to hear your endorsement. So, um, sounds like it's a lot of fun. I I was totally once we talked about it a couple weeks ago, I was like, wow, that that kind of would be a lot of fun. But you know, I'm I'm yeah, I'm I'm not gonna say it's like it's not going to be a horizon zero dawn for you it's not going to be a last of us game it's not going to be this like like hardcore story experience it's it's so like you you boot it up and it's like we're just gonna have a good time you know i'm surprised yeah. how um genuinely like fun the voice acting like i hate voice acting usually in these lego games but like the writing and stuff is super clever the little jokes have actually had me chuckle out loud, which maybe I'm just exhausted. I don't know. I just, I, I'm like, wow, I can't believe this game is making me smile so much. So it's extremely charming. Um, 
if you're kind of on the edge, just wait for a discount. I'm sure it'll be discounted eventually, but I was happy to pay the full price for this game. I yeah. um I am really enjoying it, even if I don't finish it. So I have one yeah. more thing that I want to talk about, just very sure. briefly. I watched a movie uh, that just came out called Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, oh, and uh, it's directed by it's a Daniels film. Uh, so the people who made um, uh, Swiss Army Man. I don't know if you ever saw that. No, but, but I wanted to. Yeah, I, you know what's weird is that when you said this title, it totally that was the movie I was thinking of. Swiss which is Army kind Man? of strange. Yeah, I was like, this movie sounds kind of quirky, like. Like a movie like Swiss Army Man. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. know why. Uh, no, I mean, yeah. it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very interesting movie. Very strange movie. Um, I'm glad that it exists, although I can't say that I, I'm mixed on it, honestly. I'm mixed on it. Uh, everybody is like giving this like absolute rave reviews. People are in love with this movie. Um, to me, it's pretty exhausting. It's like, it's a lot of things happening. Um, and in my mind, I think it, it's, it's a funny movie. Um, I laughed quite a bit during it, but in some ways, some of the humor got in the way of what it was trying to do. Um, that's probably my biggest thing that I, that I didn't love about it. Um, but I kind of want to see it again because it's so much of a, uh, it's such a, it's kind of an expansive movie um, and one that has a lot of fun with itself. Uh, one that very much is um, not serious, but extremely serious at the same time. Um, and I, I think, yeah, I think I'd, I'd want to go see it again. I'd recommend it to, I think people should see it. I think it's a really um, unique movie. It's it's basically unlike any, anything I've ever seen. So um, go see it. I, I recommend it to people. Um, strange, weird, off the wall, but a lot of fun and pretty easy to follow. So I think, I think most people will kind of enjoy it. It's very, I think it's, a, this is going to sound like a bad thing and maybe it is, but it's very much a movie that's a product of internet culture. Uh, if that makes sense. So, um, if that sounds up your alley, go check that out. It's, it's pretty interesting. I have not heard anything about this film. This might be the first time I've heard of the title. So, uh, would you recommend it for me, Cameron, for our audience listeners? Would you, you think I would like it or? Yeah, I, I would, uh, uh, more so I would want you to watch it because it's so interesting and so unique. Um, but I think, I think you would totally, um, th there are things that would probably off put you, uh, in the movie, but I, I would, I would want you to watch it because I think so many of the things that it does well, um, it does really well. And it is an easy movie to, follow along with it's not like a, a, a struggle to get through it's just exhausting in terms of how it's like overload basically um mm. but it's it's very much a an accessible movie um i don't think it's inaccessible at all but i'd i'd be interested in seeing your your thoughts on it um it's it's weird how much it relates to both sort of 
a normie movie growing going crowd and a uh very intense hardcore movie crowd uh, hmm. so that's what i'll say about it interesting interesting well cameron it's only been about a half an hour. I think it's time to get into the show. This is, of course, Cinema Spectator. You can support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. Get an exclusive piece of content, whatever we want to drop it, at just the dollar level. Uh, you can also have your questions read on the show. Claim the ability to vote on films we watch each month based on the theme, on, on the theme that we're picking, uh, whatever we're doing this month or this, you know, kind of this following month and going to this one. We've been going through Deacon's films, uh, diving into some cinematography and that course continues with this episode uh if you don't have a few dollars it's all good we would vastly appreciate a rating on itunes that helps us so much so if you could just drop a rating or tell friends and family if you enjoy the show all that stuff helps this show grow and we appreciate your support no matter what thank you for spending time hanging out with us and talking about movies cameron i want to get a hot take before we get into 1917 it's related to the world wars and watching this film jules was like so isaac which war do you like more? World War Two or World War One? And I was like, what kind of question is that? It sounds like a hot take for Cameron. Um, I'm not going to ask you. I mean, you can answer that question. I was just going to ask you if you had to be a foot soldier for a random side. You couldn't choose a coin flip, right, on where you'd end up. Which World War would you pick? I think the answer is so obvious. It's World War II. You'd want to be a foot soldier in World War II so much more because you have general anesthesia. You have uh, <laughs> like surgery practices and hygiene practices. This 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 movie, you know, uh, talks a little bit about how disgusting World War One was, but also just the um, World War One was like. An absolute watershed moment when it comes to, you know, warfare in modern warfare, basically. And World War Two was much more refined <laughs> than than World War One was um, obviously still bloody. It's still chaotic. Um, not not a pleasant thing to live through. But World War One, I, I think, was uh, so, so horrific that I I. Uh, it's nightmare fuel. It it really is. It's it's terrifying stuff. I don't know if you've if ever you, if you've ever read um uh uh on the Western Front or you know those books about World War One, but it yeah. is it's disturbing stuff. It's disturbing stuff. Yeah, all quiet on the Western Front was required yeah. reading at my high school. It's crazy because if you really think about the if you wanna if you want a good understanding of World War One's brutality, all right, consider that at first, some generals would ride on horseback with a sword <laughs> towards nested machine guns. <laughs> Just think about that for a second, okay? How how do you think that was going to turn out? You know, um, it's yeah. This movie does a great job capturing how brutal that that uh that style of combat was. I always think about how history teachers teach you about at least in America the Civil War being like an extremely brutal war with the invention of like rifling. Suddenly, these muskets are like way more accurate, so it's just a super deadly war, uh, civil war, right? In in the United States and for the people here, but there's something about World War One that is like so much worse, I think. And 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 I don't know if American history classes dive into World War One enough. It's funny because I had to read All Quiet on the Western Front for English, not for history, right? I know that. 
the United States involvement in World War One was probably more or less dramatic than the U.S.'s dramatic pull into uh, the European war um, in World War II, of course, with Pearl Harbor um, and kind of the whole D-Day invasion. All that stuff is like, it is now legend at this point, right? Um, but World War One, the United States involvement was almost like, um, kind of like, was it, wasn't it more um, just like ally-based, right? It was like we, yeah. we helped because we had obligations in some regard, right? Um, yeah, we had, we, we did send over troops, um, in 1917. So it wasn't like we were uninvolved in the war, but basically, I mean, we were, we were pretty much sitting it out. And, and I think, you know, let's not forget that, uh, there were three years of world war two that we were pretty much uninvolved in as well. Although, right. you know, uh, from 41, I think we, started to ship over, you know, arms and we, you know, they would, uh, some European countries would, would basically pay for, um, you know, weapons and bonds and stuff and, and gold. And so we had, we had quite the system going, but, um, you know, we didn't get active until Pearl Harbor, but, um, you know, world war one, I, I mean, it was, it was very much, it was pretty ceremonial. I mean, we didn't we didn't lose that many. I think we we were like eight percent of the casualties, which is still it's not nothing. You know, we, we were definitely involved, but um, you know, compare that to Britain or France. I mean, it's it's no it's no no comparison. So, um, but I, I will say, you know, on the question of which war is your favorite, um, World War Two obviously gets all the press because it's. I think part of the reason is because it's so clear, um, and I think we have a we have a pretty good picture of what happened during World War Two. Uh, I find World War One very interesting, probably more than most people, because because of how complicated it is, um, and how how many different interests were being totally uh, ignored by everyone, um, and how it culminated into this, this giant, um, you know, explosion of, of, you know, invasion and, um, you know, counter invasion. And it's, it's a, it's a fascinating and complex, um, you know, issue that, that happened. I mean, it was, it was, it, and the ramifications after that. Um, very interesting. So I find both of those wars interesting to, to read about and to study, but, um, let's get into the movie. Come on. It's been too long. What are we talking about here? <laughs> We're at least sort of on theme, Cameron. Give us a, give us a rundown. Um, let's, um, we're, we're ready to get into it. So. Yeah. Um, two soldiers are assigned to race against time and deliver a message that will stop 1600 men from walking straight into a deadly trap. Um, it's a very... I would say this movie is very simple narratively. Um, it's really A to B storytelling, um, which is a very good thing about it, actually. It's one of my many, many positives that I have um, re-watching this movie. Um, it's really a journey to cross danger. Um, it's like it's like Sam and Frodo's story basically <laughs> in in Lord of the Rings it's to get past enemy lines to to you know deliver something um and the i think the payoff 
is so well done and so everything is so structured um just immaculately that in two hours um in you know it it feels like real time because uh there's a lot of walking and a lot of running in the movie but um you know in two hours you you get this you get to know the characters you get to feel their their story and by the end you're so on board and so rooting for them that it's 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 moving i mean it really um it it it's pretty it's pretty transcendent um again this is roger deacon's month so well sort of month and a half i guess but um we've been talking about him as a as a cinematographer sort of his vision and i would say you know blade runner we we both have seen uh blade runner 2049 um and uh that i think is probably his best work in terms of lighting and style and sort of how how he can manipulate uh, a scene to make it look so beautiful um but this i think is a culmination of everything that he does um in terms of like his skill if that makes sense um and weirdly uh, i was i was reading about sort of the the process of making this movie and there are some funny things that I that I had no idea about. Like mo- a lot of it was was totally natural light, um, and it's funny when you think of Deacons as someone who uh, is a you know a complex filmmaker, someone who who you know makes things look a very sp- specific way in a very particular way and uses light to his advantage. That you know a lot of this movie is using natural light and using sort of the fluidity of the, of the camera as, as sort of the main driving factor of the movie. Um, and I, I found that really impressive that someone of that level would be able to use, um, you know, uh, you know, not, not be, uh, limited by the fact that he can basically have any budget whatsoever, um, but still, you know, default to something that, that everybody can use essentially. Um, so yeah, I found that, I found that to be pretty interesting reading about it. I have a lot of fun facts about the making of this movie, but I want to talk a little bit before that about the story and, um, get your thoughts about it. Isaac, what did you take away from this movie? Yeah. 1917. I expected to be more of a theme park ride. But as the film went on, I I think it's just, it, it becomes something much more engaging than, than you would expect. Right. I think the biggest draw for this film is, Oh, it's a war movie with a one shot camera. And so it very, it starts kind of roller coaster esque where you're falling around these guys and, um, there's something that happens with that gimmick uh, probably about a third of the way through where you feel like you're on this journey personally with them. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't feel like a gimmick. It feels like your perspective. Uh, it's what you, it's where you want to be and it's, you want to see it through like with them, you know? Um, and I think the camera movement and the, the cinematography is just hands down 
so effective in 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 working with the plot and in working with your own emotions uh, as you're following these guys like i was i i, <laughs> I I had to buy this movie because you can't rent it. Yeah, you know? I know. I found that yeah. out. Uh, I I'm sorry that I made you do that, but no, um, no, no, no. I I bought it, and but when the credits rolled, I was like, I'm glad I bought it. You know. Yeah. Um, I feel like it's a movie that I'd want to watch again. You know, and I think there's so much about the film that is linear, and the experience going through that linear um, plot is so to me, like it feels so dynamic, even though it's very limited in, in the one shot camera and the storyline is very simple. They go to A to B, you know, um, there's just so much that's happening. I think particularly in just settings, um, the movie has, I'm so happy you brought up Lord of the Rings. It feels like it has, um, mythical moments Mm. in their journey. Uh, settings that are extremely diverse um, from the white trenches early on to the brutal, harsh, rotting dead man's land to an underground cave that feels like Indiana Jones moving to open farmland, right? Like there's like these vistas that are like, oh, this is a new setting and I'm eating it up and okay, now we're on like a muddy trail and suddenly there's this red dark burning city right like it's like just like huge contrast between these locations and to me and these settings are in the real world but to me it's like here's the mines of moria right yeah. here's you know yeah. uh river uh, you know like the, the here's the town of brie iconic you know here here's the you know like when you're thinking about lord of the rings there's these staple places this movie has that with it um which I really was not expecting when what when watching it, you know. And um, and imagine if Lord of the Rings was a one shot take, you know. It, I know, it, you yeah. know, but it's like it's it's it really does evoke that sense of of adventure and journey through through absolute peril that I think yeah. is what we really connect to with with a lot of Lord of the Rings, where it's it's very much a uh you know Lord of the Rings is a story about um, you know, going from, from, you know, it's a story about a lot of things, but part of it is going from relative peace and harmony through, uh, a tragic and terrible time, um, out the other side, um, where you're basically changed and, you know, never will be the same. And funny enough, um, you know, uh, Tolkien, I, I believe fought in, in World War One. So I don't think it's that much of a stretch to to say that these two are um, in some ways just spiritually connected, um, if not thematically in a lot of ways. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I think um, the the parallels are very clear with with this movie and uh, Sam and Frodo's journey, I feel like, is something I was thinking about a lot with this film. I think the difference is that San, like the Lord of the Rings experience, you're like with them, but you're kind of watching them. You know, mm-hmm. this movie it feels like you're almost more participating, yeah, uh, because of the one shot camera. So I think there's something special going on there as an audience member. And I think you know, just my final thoughts is like this movie is excellent. This movie is 
uh, I think for everyone, you know, I think it's, I, I, I don't know who could watch this movie unless you're grossed out by war movies like Juliana is Juliana hates war movies. Um, so this fair enough. Was, it's gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She, I mean, she didn't watch the beginning, which I'm thankful for, you know, with all the rats and stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, even towards the end with like just wounded soldiers, she's like, why do boys watch this? And I was like, you know what, hon? It's kind of like the same thing. Why, why do girls watch like sappy? <laughs> I'm going to sit down and cry movie. You know, like, like I call them like tragedy, like it's like tragedy porn movies where it's like, you know, girls just want to cry with a guy saying, I love you. And he goes away and then she, <laughs> I don't know. And then he dies at the end, like 10 minutes before the movie ends, the guy dies and she's just crying, you know, and all the girls cry together. You know, I'm like, you know, war movies is just the guy version of that. You know, <laughs> you just sit there. There's this like, and then you just cry at the end, you know. I mean, I didn't cry at the end of this movie, but it definitely, you know, it got it gets you right. It gets you right there. Yeah, in the with, feels, so. with Rob Stark. I mean, uh, as the I know as the older brother. Um, I was like, why, why this guy? <laughs> but oh but he gosh. he does. Um, I think he he does an amazing job. Um, with that that I think that sequence. Spoilers ahead, I guess, but um that sequence between the two of them is so touching um and beautiful um i, I don't know i th- i think i i like what you're saying about the fact that you're you're sort of participating in this journey along with them and i think the fact that it feels you know whatever they're walking through um it feels real time you know obviously it's not but it feels like there's like you're walking on the trail with them, basically, you know, you, you go through this, um, you know, the sequence of them, them through all of these different vistas and all of these different, um, different settings. And when you get to the end, you feel like you've gone on the journey with, with the characters. Um, and, and there is something very beautiful about, uh, the way that it wraps up in the, um, you know, the classic, uh, first shot versus, versus last shot, um, style, you know, but the, I think, I think what I, what I love about, um, well, a couple of things, there's, there's something like you said, very, I would say there is something gimmicky about, having your movie be sort of a one shot movie. Um, but partially I kind of feel like the gimmick is also the storytelling device in this movie and in a lot of movies that, that choose to do it that way. Um, and so there is something, there is something kind of flashy about it where it's like, oh yeah, we're going to, we're going to make this shot look like it's, or, you know, we're going to make this movie look like it's a one shot. Um, there's something kind of flashy, a little bit over the top about that. Um, but in, in this movie in particular, it feels completely narratively justified. Um, and part of it is that you are following this, um, you know, these two soldiers on, on your, on their journey. Um, but also I think what, what really helps with that is how well this movie is paced. 
um, everything that happens, it's, it's so, it's so interesting. I, I noticed it watching it this time. There's, there's a and B, you know, the, the story is going from A to B, um, in each scene, there's going from A to B. And then in each little sequence that there is, there's action and relief. You know, there's this sort of tense tension um, and then a, a bit of respite. Uh, and it's so well laid out that every time it happens, it grows and it grows and it grows. And there's the, the action gets more and more. And the relief feels more and more at the same time. Um, and it's so it's so beautiful and poetic how it's done that I, I was, you know, I saw this in theaters when it first came out in 2019. Um, and watching it again today, I was like, I was like, wow, this is legitimately um, a, a masterpiece. And in in a way that I think um, not very many movies are able to to touch on the poetic and narrative um structure that this movie does and i i think it's one of the things it's one of the themes that we've talked about a lot on this show is about story simplicity um and having having a movie that is effective in its premise if that makes sense. And basically yeah. gearing everything towards um towards the the plot and and sort of hyper fixating on uh what what's like the best way to to deliver this package of a story. And I think this movie is basically the perfect example for that of hyper fixating on how do we tell a story where characters are trying to get from one end to another end with a message through you know ultimate danger and this is like a masterclass in trying to do that it's it's absolutely brilliant um so you know that i i don't know i i think i think this this is um this is definitely sam mendez's best movie um, but it's, it's totally up there for me in 2019 uh, being, you know, that good of a year. It's, it's, it's up there for me. So. Yeah. I think that you can go and get super nerdy about the cinematography in this movie as well. Um, there were, there were moments where I realized like just how incredible some of the decisions with the camera movement are right like from i think the one moment that really stuck out to me was the scene after he gets out of the river and there's the blossoms falling in the water and he hears the man singing and he, he fought the camera follows with him but you're so interested in who's singing and what's up ahead that you don't even realize that you're still following the guy walking in the forest you know like you are beginning to look like it, it's almost like you're walking behind him you know, and you're like, I need to see what's up ahead because he hears it. We're both going to go over there, yeah. you know? Um, and so you're trying to see what's over the, over the, over his shoulder, what's through the trees. You start to get glimpses of, sh of, of soldiers sitting and the camera begins to hook around his left shoulder, right? 
beginning to reveal what's going on. There's a guy singing. The camera gets really low to the ground. It goes through all the different troops who are sitting listening to the singing. It pulls a hard right uh, back like around all these different faces of the men listening to this guy sing. After you've seen the singer, of course. And as it makes that hard right, it 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 pulls focus perfectly on um, the guy who just got out of the river, right? Suddenly, you're looking at all the soldiers with their heads down listening to the singer. And uh, the protagonist is sitting, leaned up against a tree with his face lifted up over everyone else. Um, but it's like leaned back in exhaustion. So his face is lit. Everyone else's face is shadowed. He's pulled focus, but the camera is so far back at this point, but instantly it's focused on him after taking that hard right. Everyone's out of focus. You are zoned in on your companion that you've been walking for this whole movie. Suddenly you're not, you don't care because you've already seen the singing. You've already seen all the soldiers and what's even going on in this scene. You're suddenly switched back to what's going on with my friend who I'm on this journey with. You know, in that like hard turn. Right. And it's just like a scene like that. I'm not trying to like just gush over it for no. Like, I'm not trying to overanalyze it or anything like that. But I couldn't help but notice how how much of the story was told with the camera and the way it moves in a scene like that. Yeah. Right. And how it almost becomes interactive. I have felt that this movie was a roller coaster ride at the beginning. And towards the end, I was happy it was, you know? Towards the end, I was like, this feels closer to a video game somehow um, because it knows what I want the camera to do before it does it. You know what I mean? It knows what I'm paying attention to. It knows what I want to see. You know, when the airplane in the in the in the farm field goes below the mountain or goes below that little hill, you like it's like Deacons knows what you want to see, you know? Yeah. He's like, he knows you want to look over that hill. He's not gonna show you yet. And then the second that the plane re- reappears, the camera starts to run backwards and you're feeling like, oh crap, we need to get out of here, you know? Yeah. But it's like it's like reading your mind. It's like the camera's going to do what you want to do as an audience member. Um, and so I think that's crazy. Like the, the singular perspective still feeling like an extension of the audience member, uh, at least for me, it did that, right? I don't know if some people felt like this movie was like tunnel vision, uh, but I have a feeling most people didn't. I had a feeling most people felt extremely involved in in the in this in this movie, and I don't know a lot of films that do that. Um, and I would say the camera, uh, in so many ways. Sorry, I'm gonna sneeze. I've, I'm, oh, okay. I, I have no, I'm not. Um, my allergies have been so bad lately. But anyways, um, the the camera. What's so interesting about it is for me, it disappears after a certain point. Mm. And it's the thing yeah. that I am paying attention to most in, you know, this rewatching. And so many times, so many moments, I'll, you know, I, I was watching and it just faded away. The fact that it was a one unbroken shot and, you know, it was, it was sort of this, this gimmicky thing um, that totally fell to the, 
to the wayside because the reason that it was was because, like you were saying, perspective and storytelling. Um, and it really made sense for this story uh, as a journey going from point A to point B. It made total sense that the camera was going to be following them and it was going to feel like you're following them and, you know, be on the journey with, with them. And the fact that it was able to, to almost hide itself in, in the, uh, the perspective angle, I think is so impressive and so indicative of what I think Deacons does best, which is storytelling through camera decisions, through, the the way that we see things through perspective um i think i think you're totally right in it's funny because juzo is going to take issue with uh <laughs> with the the fact that you you called this video game like but I, I i don't disagree in that that what you're seeing is sort of almost the perspective that you would want to see if you're observing the story f- fully through Um, and I, I, I think you're, you're right as well, that there's an interactive nature to the way that the camera plays, um, where it's, it's not, it's not God-like, right? You're very centered in the characters that you, um, you know, that, that are on screen. Um, it's not showing you perspectives of anything else other than the, the characters who are, who are with you. Um. But it's also, it's also not entirely their perspective. So it is very much your own perspective on the story that's happening. You know, it's almost right. There's, there's like a flexing between you hiking with them, and then you your concern with the characters. Yeah, that happens with the, with the pers- I mean, the the perspective remains the same, but there are moments where the single shot becomes a focus on the protagonist of the film. Versus you taking a walk with them, right? Yeah. Uh, There are clear transitions. I think um, most of the action scenes, especially towards the end, right? You're not, you're not with him on that journey. You just want to make sure he makes it, you know, like you are, uh, you're, you're observing what is going to happen to this guy. um, But you don't necessarily like, you're, you're not like walking beside him in comparison to, uh, another scene earlier in the movie where he's taking the, he's trying to fight the um like the the tower sniper or mm-hmm. whatever he's having a shootout with the guy in the tower the moment that he blacks out um that scene it feels like you're clearing the house with him you know yeah and uh it's almost like a jump scare because you're there with him in comparison to uh other action set pieces where it's like you're not with him on the journey. You're now concerned for his safety. Like another moment would be when he falls in the river. Um, You're more concerned about the protagonist. Uh, You're not getting a perspective of I'm drowning in the water. Right. right, Like, right. right. right? Like, so it kind of sways in between your concern for the characters and then being there physically, as, as, almost as a as a method of engagement. I, I, yeah, I'm not trying to say it's it's like a video game, but I don't know if I've seen film take 
like interactive media to like this level, you know, mm-hmm. like for some reason there is something interactive about this movie. It's hard to figure out what it is. You have no control over what happens in the film. Um, but I cannot say that I didn't feel like I was engaged, uh, in more than just a viewer. Like mm-hmm. it, it, there was something about it that was like, I'm, I mean, there with them, you know? Right. 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 Um, and I think, so. I think that's the brilliance of the perspective choice of this movie. Um, but I, I do want to talk a little bit about sort of the, the production hurdles that this would have been. I mean, I think this was a, this was an extremely complex movie to make. Obviously it's, it probably, it feels effortless, uh, but it definitely was not. Um, one of the the issues with making a movie like this is when they're walking, right? Everything that they're doing, you know, as they're walking has to be in real time. So all of the sets that you build, all everything that you, you know, you're seeing, all of the extras, that has to be timed basically to a T of, uh, you know, from point A to point B, it takes this many seconds to walk. And that's how long our take is going to be, uh, which thinking about that and thinking about how productions go, I mean, it's, it's seriously next level and insane. Um, like uh, thinking about just the, the production headache that that would have been to rehearse and to think about the camera movements, to build the sets, to go specifically because you're, you're having to have these characters walk from this point to this point in real time. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty intense. Um, another thing, I don't know if you noticed this, but kind of a rule that was, I think either Sam Mendes or Deacons, um, a rule about the camera in this movie was that it was never to go to backtrack. Um, it was always to move forward. Uh, I don't know if you, you noticed that, but no, I, I did not. Um, but it it definitely you never everything everything moves forward and it feels that way feels very um it uh, it kind of reminds me actually in that way of of Snowpiercer um you've seen that movie right yeah it's like a, you never go back in the cars yeah then. yeah um and in in the same way this movie is very um flu, you know f- directional. Um, in going, you know, very clearly one way. Uh, and part of the uh, challenge of having that is how do you make the, how do you make a movie where your characters are going one way, your camera is going one way, but there are multiple angles and multiple different shots and the the framing and the, you know, the how how things are blocked. How how does that work with you know when it's not just the back of two people's heads basically, <laughs> um, and part of it you know part of overcoming that challenge was to have the camera spin around the characters, have the sets be able to to accommodate a camera that is you know essentially freely moving around everything, um, and I don't know if you've seen the rig that they use. Uh, to shoot this movie, but it is, uh, it's pretty impressive. It's, it's quite the, um, 
quite quite the piece. It's called the Airy Tr- Trinity. Um, have you heard of this? No, I'll look it up right now. Um, so yeah, so the Airy Trinity is basically a combination of a gimbal, um, a steady cam, and you know one of those uh, backpack camera rigs where you're, um, you know, you have it attached at, at a third arm basically. And uh, the brilliance of this machine is that it um, it's it's like a javelin essentially, and so you can hold it in any which way. Um, you can go up and down. Uh, you could go back and forward. You can twist the camera. Uh, you can spin the camera. So there's so many options that you have to to basically uh, move the camera, and I think it's so clearly utilized in this movie even in the first you know 10 minutes or whatever uh there's so many moments where you're following these characters and they'll they'll do the classic one shot where you know they'll focus on one character talking and then they'll move to another character talking and then they'll move back you know as they're having this conversation but the freedom of you know a a system like this is that it's able to move fluidly as you would be, you know, a, a person basically pointing in a direction and you're, you can walk with them. You can sort of, uh, walk alongside and then move th- towards the back and spin around. And, um, it just gives you so many options. But on top of that, they also utilized, um, uh, they utilized cranes, they utilized trucks, they utilized motorcycles, drones. I mean, there are so many ways that the camera moves in this uh, in this movie that are completely hidden, completely silent, and you never would know. Basically, <laughs> um, yeah. And it's 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 absolutely insane. One of the uh, I was looking at some behind the scenes stuff uh, from from this movie, and uh, there's a a sequence towards the end where he's running basically through, uh, you know, he, he pops out of the trenches and he's running through the battle lines as people are strafing, you know, uh, towards the enemy. And, um, there's a moment where he, where he falls down and, you know, he's, he's hit by another soldier basically. Um, and that was totally unplanned. That happened, uh, you know, organically. Uh, but it's such a, it's such a brilliant moment and it feels so real. And, and it, that's like the farthest you've ever been from this character since you met him basically. Um, and it's, it's like, it's devastating when you watch it because you, you feel like you've, you've almost lost him, you know? And it, and it's, it's scary um, you know, he's like, he goes away for so long that you want him to come back essentially. Um, and then he, he does, he reenters the frame and, you know, he keeps on running, but, um, well, he gets tripped twice. Yeah. He gets, tri- and both of those times it was, it was, it was real. I mean, that was, yeah, that's wow. what happened. Um, but I, I, I just, I love the organic nature of that sequence um and how it feels so chaotic and it's it is like the height of the action of the movie yeah um yeah and 
you know, it's, it's just brilliantly done. I, I, yeah, I think it's, I think it's so good. There's only one other thing I really want to talk about Cameron. Uh, and that is maybe too large of a topic. Um, it kind of goes back to video games, but I was thinking about battlefield one. I know I'm a big fan of this game. Cameron, you're, you're maybe a big fan of it. I don't know. I'm mixed on it, but yeah, mixed on it. I think that some of this game is inspired by Battlefield 1. Um, some of this movie, you mean? Or, yeah, this movie, sorry. Uh, sorry, Gizzo. Uh, yeah, some <laughs> of this movie is definitely inspired by that game. Uh, specifically, I noticed it when they did text. The fonts were, like, identical uh, to <laughs> Battlefield 1, and I was like, hmm, that's just, I. it's interesting. Um but even like the, I mean, maybe they're just both aspiring to be like World War One. But a lot of the gear and the choices shown in the movie feels like directly influenced by the game or like pulled from bits of that. And the way that there's like that first person camera running with it. Really, the thing that I think con- like or the, the contrast between the two that I was a little curious about because I don't know how to feel about it. Um is that the Germans or, or the, um, the Axis powers in this movie, they are much more like almost unhuman than the representation in Battlefield 1. Battlefield 1 views World War 1 as this um, kind of like glorious event, right? It's a video game, right? It's sort of like this. <laughs> yeah. It's a dramatized, brutal, like party experience right yeah um it's obviously a game you know but there's something about that that battlefield title that still wants to tie itself to the history um with the whole operation system in that game and it did a good job of exploring like kind of both sides of the war where it's like the germans are feeling a certain way and you know, struggling to fight against the allied powers and the way that, you know, the allies are feeling. And so it felt very like this vast, unique perspective, right? And this movie is much more like personal and the humanity around the Germans like isn't, or or at least the enemies, right? It's not really existent in this film. And I just wanted to know if like that, if that was interesting to you or if that kind of stood out to you, because on my viewing, I was like, you know, one of my favorite pieces of World War One media is Battlefield One, you know, the game. I think it's it actually brought a lot of interest for me to do some research um, in into the war. And this film feels like a little bit of different combat, but the Nazis are the bad guys, even though they're not in world war one. Do you know what I, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was like the Germans are like, Oh, those are the bad guys. And yeah, you, that's that. Um, yeah, you don't really meet a lot of Germans in this movie. Um, and the ones that you do are very, um, um, yeah. Like Stormtrooper enemy. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, I'm just a bad guy that wants to shoot you. Kind I, of I don't feel like that's that, uh, well, okay. W- one thing is obviously we're talking about perspective. The perspective of the of the movie, you're, 
the camera is, the characters you're following are British soldiers. So if a British soldier was to encounter a German soldier at the time, they probably would have been scary um, and, you know, wanting to kill you essentially. So, so I don't, I don't, I don't take that to mean too much other than this is from the perspective of, you know, these, these people. Uh, but I, I do get what you're saying. Um, it reminds me, you know, I think Dunkirk does a little bit of the same thing. You never really see the Germans. They're always this sort of, um, menacing force, uh, you know, coming, coming up to, you know, to the, um, to the British line. So, um, but I, I don't, you know, I, I think that's accurate for, for what it would have been. Um, I think most people in the British army probably weren't facing Germans, uh, in, you know, normal one-to-one battles. Uh, well, so, so the I, only, the only reason I, I bring it up is because World War One has like, some level of like, not that it wasn't brutal. Like, you know, Nazis are hated. They're like evil bad guys. But like, there's other stories from World War One where it's like on Christmas, both sides like played football with each other or something like that. You, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, 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 no. I, I know what you mean. And I think um, I, I do think the Germans um, get a bit of a bad rap for, for World War One. Um, I think, and historically, that was definitely the case. I mean, the, you know, the Austro-Hungarians uh, were way more influential in terms of starting and continuing World War One, and making it basically the conflict that it was than the Germans. So it, it really wasn't necessarily their faults. But at, by the end, you know, after sort of the crumbling of that empire, um, uh, it, it was, you know, in 1917, it would have been faceless nameless germans versus faceless nameless brits um at that point oh yeah yeah so. i just i felt like there were some moments where the film could have like they could have had those humanizing like, human elements elements. Yeah. yeah humanizing elements like to yeah. show i i to know further show the tragedy because totally. they they have moments where he runs into german soldiers where they like have these like uh-oh like what do we do? You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Hold on a second. My landlord's knocking. Totally lost my train of thought. No, no, no. It's okay. Cam- Cameron, you're supposed to vamp right there, you know? <laughs> no, you're There's that cut. sneeze. Oh, I love editing. <laughs> it's not like... <laughs> my, uh... Yeah, like I said, my dryer broke. So, yeah. there is the sheets. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I, I don't know. It was just my, like a minor gripe. I didn't think it was like, this ruins the movie or something like that. I just thought it was sort of interesting. Um... I love that World War One is coming up more in in sort of like uh, entertainment around combat or war. I feel yeah. like it's a very untouched um, 
section of history and there's a lot of stories. And I think this movie, even in the ending, right, it says like, thank you to whoever, you know, it was, for their it story was his, and telling his, his grandfather, the director's grandfather. Mm. So, yeah. I'd, so like the, the totally a personal story. And I think it's, it's obvious that you could tell this, this yeah. was something that meant something to him to tell. Um, and it shows. And I, I think, you know, Mendez, he's an interesting filmmaker in a lot of ways because, you know, with Skyfall and with, with Scepter, um, you know, and I kind of view him not, not so much, but I, he's very much an artistic force, but I think in some ways he can be categorized in the sort of gun for hire, uh, you know, types of directors. But I think this, this movie shows how much he, he really knows what he's doing and he knows how to tell a story and to tell it completely passionately from, you know, his own point of view. And, uh, it, it's, it's such a brilliant work of, um, reshaping, uh, uh, you know, probably a story that that was told, you know, through generations, basically. Uh, and and I find it I find it really inspiring in a lot of ways as as something to reach for. Um, and the fact that you, you know, you have all of these elements that are so simple, so easily explained. Um, it's a story from getting a message to, you know, across enemy, enemy lines to, you know, a different company. Um, but the distillation of everything into basically how perfect can we get this, um, is truly, I mean, it's, it's, it's a feat to behold. I, I think it's, it's such a, such an amazing movie. I fully agree, Cameron. I think it's, I, I don't know. I mean, to me, it was the most impressive thing I've seen Deacons do. Yeah. And I'm sure that Deacons fans disagree with that. Maybe there are other films that I've seen uh, shot by Deacons that, I, I don't know, I think are more impactful. I just can't think of. Blade Runner. Off the top of my head. The original Blade Runner? No, 2049. I don't, I don't know. Like, 2049... <laughs> It is a pretty movie. It is a pretty movie. Gorgeous I don't know. Movie. Absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. I don't, I have to rewatch it. It's been too long. I remember the visuals being incredible, but I don't know if that was necessarily, I mean, it, it obviously it had a lot to do with the cinematography and the framing, but there was also a lot of other elements with like, the art design. I think the lighting is really actually what what makes it for me. Um, yeah. But. So this movie feels like Deacon's like flexing the biceps in a way. Yeah. Like he pulled this movie together. Could Blade Runner have existed without Deacon's? Yes. It might, it might, it might be painful for some people to hear that, but yes, it could have. You know? Would it be would it be as pretty? Probably not. But um, I I don't think this movie could have existed without him. And 
<laughs> that's I think that's some of the highest praise I could say. This movie's for everyone, and it could not have existed without Deacons. So um I definitely think you should watch 1917. I had a lot of people tell me that when it came out. Um, I wish I had listened to them sooner. It's worth the $10 that I paid for it on Amazon. I think this is a movie you could buy physically and be happy with. Totally. 100%. Um, I wish I bought it physically, if I'm being honest. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I was going to ask, did Deacons do Children of Men? No, that was uh, Lubezki. So, yeah, some of the cinematography in that, with the specifically with the car, like the one-shot car thing, that's what I was thinking of with this movie, too. Um, in Children of Men, where the where they spin the camera around the the car cabin, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 scene is nuts. Um, so yeah, this movie kind of channels some of that energy too. But highly recommend 1917. Watch it. It's a little brutal, but I think most people will really love this film. Yeah, I agree. I I, it's for everybody. Um, everybody should see it simple and effective it is the brilliance of cinema um wrapped into uh, you know a two-hour package it's perfect it's a great movie oh oh that's a that's a cinephile right there what did you just say the breath of cinema no i said wrapped the, up into a picture package the the brilliance and effectiveness of cinema oh oh my oh my goodness <laughs> cinephiles just exploding all over <laughs> they're just they can't even oh man yeah it's a hey, even for a casual like myself oh my gosh you gotta see this film that's how i feel about it all right cameron put it elegantly i'm saying y'all go get down to those theaters and watch <laughs> this movie <laughs> it's good it's good okay with that cameron i think it's time to close we try to post every Monday. We do get an episode out every week unless we panic post on uh, Instagram and can't make it. Life seems to be busy, but we still do this show for you. So we appreciate you hanging out. I think uh, we do this. it for us more than anything. But <laughs> sure, sure, sure. We do. I mean, but honestly, we do appreciate you guys listening um, from our fans that listen. Like, seriously, you guys inspire us to keep creating. Um, but yeah, Cameron, I do the show for you, too, you know? you want to say if you want to feel that feel special <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah we appreciate you guys a lot and we'll see you next month cinema spectator is an ecfs productions podcast that is fully funded on patreon.com shout out to our producers darren o'neill for supporting the show and to the rest of you that support us at patreon.com slash ecfs productions if you want to learn more about the benefits you can get Check out our Patreon. The show cannot happen without you great listeners, so we thank you for all your kindness and support.